Welcome to the Active Faith Podcast, where we are building a theology of self-care together. My name is Andrew Weir. I am your host, and I am the Runnin' Rev. Through conversations with others and reflections, we are seeking to build a theology of self-care, exploring how we take that initiative to care for ourselves as we seek to live out our faith and vocations. Welcome to this episode our first guest episode of 2023. I am so excited to welcome Brian Lamb on the podcast. Uh, Brian is just an awesome individual who I had an opportunity to meet, uh, uh, I guess, pre-pandemic, a little bit before pre-pandemic, and I think it was about 2018, uh, and he and I attended a uh, course together and had an opportunity to meet, Has have had opportunities to uh, hang out in collegial spaces uh, in the past, as you heard, as you will hear, he is a former pastor, now a teacher, um, and so he has an interesting self-care journey that follows that uh, space as well. And so, uh, having him come on the podcast to talk about his perspective of self-care uh, truly is a treat. And so, let's dive into this conversation and see what we can learn from Brian's journey. All right, what's up, everybody? Uh, we are back. This is the f- first guest episode of the year, and I am so uh, proud to welcome Brian Lamb here on the podcast today. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. Awesome. So I'm also recording at school, so bells will go off every once in a while. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I uh, sometimes have my phone go off, or my uh, yeah, the phone in the in the office go off. So you never know what you are going to get here on the podcast. Uh, Brian, why don't we uh, start out by introducing you to the audience today. Uh, Who are you? Where do you call home? And what does self-care mean to you? Yeah, so uh, I'm Brian Lamb. I am a high school business education teacher. Uh, So I teach economics and personal finance, which is now a requirement for graduation in the state of Virginia. Um, And then I teach design, multimedia, and yearbook. And Mm so um, that what keeps me busy in my day job. I um, came to teaching by way of seminary and pastoring for a brief period of time, which we'll probably get into some of that a little bit down the conversation. Um, but I uh, do have an MDiv and was formerly a licensed local pastor. And so that's sort of about me. I call uh, Ladysmith, Virginia home now. Um, I've called Virginia home for 28 years. Grew up um, in Fredericksburg area. And we've settled on a golf course community in Ladysmith. So it is it is a beautiful area over there. Yeah. So never thought that I would live on a golf course, but um, <laughs> it it's a nice it, it affords nice views out the back, and yeah. um, it's fun to watch people golf well and golf poorly. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so self care to me is um, it's a very sort of selfish I guess thing of mine of I just like to be by myself Mm -hmm. um collect my thoughts and sort of just like I'm used to going and going and going it's really just um stopping and just sort of pausing Mm -hmm. um because I don't really have like a definitive hobby that I like to do um per se I have a number of things that I like to do to keep busy, but it's just sort of um, enjoying just sort of being by myself. And so um, 
which is interesting when I am responsible for teaching 150 kids every two days and, <laughs> and different stuff. But um, and I'm an introvert and um, and that I can be extroverted, um, but being extroverted really drains me. And so I definitely need that time to just sort of recharge and and whatnot. So. And, and when you say selfish, you don't necessarily mean it in the, the negative connotation that we often might give to it, but more of the inward reflective understanding of what it means to, yeah. Yeah. you know, when you think about self-care, you think about what do I need? Right. And so, you know, I posted on social media yesterday that I'm so used to when someone asks me how I'm doing, it's just, oh, you know, just trying to stay busy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just a nice little blanket. And this time I turned it around of, actually 2023 i'm trying to intentionally not stay busy um and so and that's sort of where the selfishness comes in is you know like i'm married but sometimes you know my husband has learned that if i go and lay down in the bedroom leave me alone for 30 minutes like that's sort of like my cue and and so that's where i kind of when i say selfish of it's i truly just want to be by myself um as a part of self-care yeah and you talk about you know also, the way that you uh, have processed in your vocation as a teacher into this right now and the 150 students or so odd that you have a year that comes into that. And as you said, you used to be a pastor um, responsible for, you know, not a large church, but but still responsible for a number of folks who, who were in your congregation. Uh, how do you balance those sorts of outlets of whether it's teaching, whether it's being out in the world with this nature of, you know, naming that you are an introvert and knowing that, okay, no, I can go out. And as my wife calls it, I can people for a little while, but I also mm -hmm. need to not people more than I people. Yeah. 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 So um, I learned very early with having like multiple jobs and stuff is I compartmentalize everything. So I, um, I do schoolwork on my school computer. If I don't want to do schoolwork at home, I'm not going to bring my school computer at home. Not to say that if there's an emergency arose with something at school, I have another backup that I can go on to, but I generally do that. Um, when I was working in corporate America, I was um, salaried exempt, um, and so there was, and they gave me a um, BlackBerry to begin with, but moved on to an iPhone um, with company email and stuff. and um, I got to a point where I literally for three years carried a personal phone and a work phone. And when I got home, the work phone got plugged in to recharge for the next day and I didn't look at it. Um, but if I don't compartmentalize, it's difficult for me to distance myself from it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was pastoring, um, I was single at the time. And so my parents were an hour and a half drive away. So when I would have my time off or if I knew I just needed a recharge moment, I'd pack my dog up and we'd go back to my parents' house and I'd spend two, three nights there to just sort of recharge. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was my sort of way of compartmentalizing. Because when you're in a church, you're living in the parsonage, it's so easy to blur those lines. Yeah. So. And, and we talk about, especially when we relate our understanding of vocation with our personal life, I think teaching and pastoring offer an interesting perspective because uh, to me, those are definitely two very uh, heavy professions in which you become very tempted to bring work home, um, whereas I think it's different for 
many other vocations where kind of your job stops at the door. There's not mm -hmm. really a whole lot of work. Now, I mean, that's not to say there's never work, um, but being married to someone who is a preschool teacher and then being a pastor mm -hmm. myself, it's really easy to see how you can get lost in bringing that work home. So what are those practices that you've developed uh, in your life to help you say, okay, no, I need to put this aside right now and say, I need to be attentive to my husband, or I need to be attentive to my friends, or I need to be attentive to my extended family, whoever it is. Uh, what, are gonna, what are those practices that you've kind of put in place to be able to compartmentalize and do those kinds of things? Yeah, so the biggest thing is, is um, during the week, it's, I very rarely try to schedule something. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've done things where they've been like me times, but it's just, I've done them for a season and come out. But um, I really try and I get home. I've started now going to the gym after work um, as a way to just sort of get the exercise in, not wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And, um, and so I do that. And then I get home about the same time my husband gets home and we just sort of relax, decompress. We're both teachers, so we can talk about our days, and it's not—it's—it's it's new to us, but we know what each other's going mm -hmm. through. And we, um, funny enough, I teach a lot of his former students, and mm -hmm. so we have that um, those conversations as well. But um, and so, but we try not to let um, the frustrations of the day fill our conversations there. Um, you know, we kind of, we let it out, but then we let it go. Um, and then we just sort of just relax. Um, Eric, my husband is a painter. So a lot of times he'll go down to his art studio in the basement, um, and work on his adult painting, um, which he does op art, um, as his preferred style. Um, I'll, at that point I'll read, I'll watch some TV, I'll do whatever. And then we usually try and come up in the evening time for the last hour, hour and a half and just sort of intentionally put our phones away and just sort of watch something together, be together, be present together. Um, and that is hard because both of us have gone down many TikTok rabbit holes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so easy to just sort of, you don't want to think when your career all, is all day making decisions, mm -hmm. you know, and I've got 30 kids in a classroom. I'm, I was, when you, asked when we asked to be on this I, I got to thinking about you know some correlations with preaching and and teaching and I basically have to come up with a sermon that I've got to present every other day and yeah. it's got to be a new sermon every other day um, except like when you're preaching you can kind of ignore that crying baby in the corner <laughs> except I've got to figure out how to like address the crying baby while keeping on track while doing this while and so all those decisions in a day really um, make it to where we don't want to make decisions. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so that's where like the mindless TikTok and social media can come, come into play, which is not always the healthiest way, but. Well, and to, and kind of even to reflect back into that time of pastoring and I'll say this nature in which your vocation spills over into your personal life. You know, I know that you're one who has been very open about their personal life, especially the reason that you're not in ministry anymore, especially yeah. your struggles with the church and all of those things. Uh, and as much as you're willing to be open about it, uh, I think it provides a, a deeper perspective into that part of your journey. 
as you begin as we begin to unpack and maybe look at that of mm -hmm. what that looks like of being a person who is living into a vocation and also trying to care for themselves in maybe a way that the world is struggling um not necessarily just the world in general but even so you know you and I being being part of the Methodist church and all the things that the Methodist church is going through um I know that it can be very tough for uh persons who identify as LGBT to to really find a sense of uh not just religious care and love, but even a sense of value in their vocation. Uh, and so what has that been like to find a sense of value as a teacher, not as a, not as a gay teacher, um, but, mm -hmm. but knowing, you know, and, and I'll let you kind of maybe tell your side of, of, of the church story. Um, but to find value as a teacher, when maybe your value as a pastor felt diminished there towards the mm -hmm. end. Yeah. Yeah. So um, our county is sort of borderline of a progressive and, and conservative sort of background. And so I'm so very cautious of ways that I express being a member of the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. um, in the school system. But there are areas, you know, I, so a lot of my explanations of real life are just gender neutral. I, my spouse we, you know, I try and avoid he um, pronouns, stuff mm -hmm. like that. So just because I don't want kids to go back to parents and say, oh, he's indoctrinating me. But but then I also I'm the advisor for the Gay Straight Alliance and I've got rainbow flags in my classroom and mm -hmm. um, and safe place statements. And so I um, so it's it's been interesting sort of going from where I was the deepest of closeted. Mm -hmm. um, and for people who don't know my story in seminary, I was employed by the current president of the Global Methodist Church um, as his youth director um, at the church. And so I was living this life of being out in seminary in D.C., but being deeply closeted to the point that like, I'd almost become a conservative evangelical Christian because of just the ease of of doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, because a lot of times we make decisions as LGBTQ members that are just safe. Mm -hmm. And um, and for the, in that season of my life, that was a safe thing to do. And I was in a position of, I had just quit a full-time job and going to seminary full-time. I need this job. I, I didn't have another job. And it was tied to my graduating with an internship. So, um and so it was interesting and then serving churches that were more on the conservative side and needing trying to find that balance of of not degrading who i am but not upsetting and ostracizing the whole church um because of what my beliefs might be and my churches were shocked when i left because i was able to kind of walk a line that satisfied both conservatives and um, progressive Christians in my church setting. Um, and, and so, <clears throat> but the biggest thing I think that I realized is in that 14 months, I served two churches who thought that I was their full-time pastor for both of them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I had really bad like self-care of, you know, oh, well, I didn't get the sermon written, so I'll go in on Saturday morning and write it. But Saturday's typically my day off. Or um, 
oh, well, there's this Bible study. It only works on Mondays, but Monday's my day off. And, you know, so finding those excuses where um, I had a, my mentor, when I started teaching, her philosophy was, you know, kind of like when, when your baby's napping, you're napping. They're like, when they're working independently, you're working independently. And so I, in four years, I've managed to very rarely have to stay after work um, to get work done because I just, I just stay super busy. Mm -hmm. um, and then I go home and I don't have to worry about it. And there's teachers who don't have that luxury. Um, part of it's because of the content that I teach, but um, it's but I, my teaching hasn't suffered because I uh, I work my contract hours, mm -hmm. and so um, and then looking back, you know, and it's so hard with church to find that balance. Of I finally had a conversation with someone in the church because they were upset I didn't come to a a dinner or something, and for them to realize it's like I'm like I'm not your full-time pastor and so just because I wasn't doing something with the other church in that moment doesn't mean that I was available in that time um, and and then realizing that we're not I mean we're available 24 7 for emergencies but you don't have a full-time pastor so I can't there should only be a 75 percent attendance yeah. rate for certain things and trying to find that balance is difficult at times and I think especially, you know, when we look at the church writ large, how pastors often get treated as the chaplain of a church and how unhealthy that can be. Um, did you notice some of that nature change in moving from the church to the school? You know, are, I mean, I, I have to imagine you're still probably solving the problems of many of the youth in America, but <laughs> I have to imagine there might be a little bit more of a distinguished line uh, between those two vocations as well. Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing is I don't, there's not an expectation that I answer emails after mm -hmm. my contract hours. There's, my my students don't have a way to get a hold of me 24-7, which is the biggest thing um, that can kind of make that difference. But um, what's been interesting for me with sort of looking at the transition as well is, um, you know, my role has drastically changed. Mm. And, um, you know, I've taken church leadership courses where they describe the pastor as the CEO of the church, like the more than just this pastoral presence. And so coming into the school setting where I'm sort of this, you could call it a pastoral presence, but I don't have the responsibility of running the building. Um, you know, I don't have to do the discipline and talk about the difficult things. Now, yes, I might write kids up, but um, but just having this sort of I'm not I'm there, I'm present, but I'm not leading necessarily. Um, but then also trying to find a way that kids know that I'm a safe place to come to. And, um, I, you know, I had a student last semester who came in, goes by a gender neutral name in my class. Um, her dad hacked her um, or hacked their email to find out that they were going by this different name. And I was the one teacher she came to to be like, I need advice on what to do with this. And um, realizing like, that's my ministry now. It's not this administrative leadership function. It's just sort of this presence function. And 
um, and we found a solution that would satisfy her father and let teachers sort of know that this is coming from dad. I have to do this, but, um, you know, then it opened up the conversation for the other teachers of, okay, so you need me to call you this while you're here, but I need to call you this when I talk to your parents, mm -hmm. which many of us are willing to do. So. And so you begin to kind of place on top of this the lessons that you've learned in mm -hmm. your journey and how you felt cared for by others, how you've navigated these waters, and you've been able to sort of input this in your own current, you know, you could call it ministry and vocation, to be able to care for others. And I think yeah. in the direction of this podcast, that becomes a huge thing because the things that we learn about ourselves help to inform that. Um, and so as, as you reflect on that part of your journey, uh, what does it look like for you to not just, you know, sit with that student and be able to offer that to them, but, but then in your own mind to be able to navigate the way and nature that you identify yourself in a society that may not always value you for who you yeah. are. Yeah. So I, um, that, this comes up a lot in our GSA meetings because, um, to, to give an example, a student who identifies as male can use the, the male bathroom mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so um, we had conversations about that because a lot of times these kids are they're more on top of things than even my generation. I, I mean, I'm kind of one of the last generations where being gay in school was people knew, but it was not talked about mm -hmm. or it was like totally just de deny, 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 which I was on the deny, deny, deny. Um, and so. But I had a conversation with the students. I said, you know, there's times where my husband and I go into public settings and we're brothers. Like, we don't, you know, we don't have PDAs. We don't, um, we sort of, you know, we walk in together, but it's not until we pay and it's one bill that people kind of put two and two together at times. And so, I, you know, we talk about the bathroom situation here. Um, you know, I share with them that, yeah, you have every right to do that, but is that the hill that you want to die on? Like, is it that what is worth it to you to live into this identity that you're experiencing? And, but also, like, is that the safest thing for you to be doing right now? Um, like, is it the safest thing of, of a trans male student who's not done anything but just changed their attire and um, as far as a transition going into that? And I find that they receive that information from me because I'm a member of the community. I'm not trans or anything, but because I identify as gay and I've had these lived experiences, they receive it from me in a way that an ally can't convey to them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so that's kind of when I look at like where my role is here is, is helping to guide them of you're in this bubble right now, but you're going to be outside of this bubble soon and you've got to survive in it. And, um, and that one student that I had, I was like, it might just be that you can't live into this until college or, you know, it, it doesn't make you any less, but you've got to do what's safe and you need a, you need a roof over your head. If that means you have to be this name, to keep a roof over your head, you know, it there, as hard as it is, there will come a time that you can live into that and just affirm them that, and it's helpful for me because I was 33, I think, before I came out 
to anyone. Mm -hmm. And so like, I, I know what it's like to wait and it not be the right time and, and things like that. Uh, do you find that, do you find a lot of that thinking often weighs on your heart as you think about the journey that you've been through? Like you said, you know, you waited all that time. Um, you now are able to offer this sort of counsel to LGBT youth in, in your school. Uh, do you find that that sort of mentality weighs on you as you continue to see uh, within the country, within the church, the way that we continue to behave? I mean, I know that's kind of probably a difficult question to answer, but it it makes me think how it yeah. makes me think about that self worth question that I had with like Charlie Baber, and how much how much of this trying to like live in the shadows becomes so harmful for people when it comes to self care. Yeah, I it that's something I've struggled with through CPE and, and everything mm -hmm. is, um, is sort of not letting that get to me. Yeah. Um, and I think it gets to me in more subconscious things than I, I realize at times, you know, I, um, will be talking about something and it might convey back to something in Scottsville and I even still will go through sort of these like this just playing in my head events that occurred there. And some were great, but others were like and when my departure, when they found out that I was leaving because I was gay, a switch had turned with the church and it turned into a kind of a semi hostile transition um, after I had already left. But mm -hmm. um, and so but like my mind will go to those things. And so like, you know seeing a kid getting picked on, my mind goes back to me not being in that it crowd dealing with this part of myself that I didn't really know. You don't, I'm not this flamboyantly gay person and the only ones that we know are. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I, it, a lot of it sits with me and that's kind of the self-care that I'm working on this year with this mm -hmm. being more, I think I keep myself busy so I don't have to think about it. And so sort of slowing down and living into this, um, I'm exploring when the time is right um, to go the deacon route in the Methodist church to have my ministry at the school recognized mm. by the church. Um, that kind of came about annual conference last year. Um, and so like trying to, so I'm trying to get right with the church, if yeah. that makes sense. There's still things in the church life that I'm struggling with that I have recognized that I'm ready to work through. But in order to do that, I need to slow down and and make the time to process that stuff. Well, and and as listeners will know, you know, a lot of that processing work is what helps to lead to the healing because none of us none of us have perfected this practice of self-care that's why yeah. that's why we're having these conversations about it that's that's why we uh that's why hopefully this this space is available for folks to come and have these discussions and i i love that insight of being able to work on that and being able to reflect on where you've been and then where you could be uh in relation to an unhealthy practice of self-care that was in your life you know kind of when you are leaving the church, but also to name that, like, 
even beyond just your identity, just your practice of self-care in the churches looks so vastly different from your practice here in your new vocation as a teacher and what that's looked like. And so I think that that might offer a little bit of hope as folks look at, okay, and, and whether they're people who are maybe transitioning from one vocation to another or whether people who are in a vocation to say, you know, all right, what's the breaking point for me that kind of allows me to see I need to take better care of myself. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's often unfortunate that it comes to that, but to name that something needs to change in my life. Otherwise, life is not going to get any easier for me. And in a lot of ways, sometimes it means transitioning vocations so that we can feel, put ourselves in a better place to be able to care for ourselves. Um, and also to create better places in our lives that we can care for ourselves. Uh, and so having followed your journey to name uh, the support system that it seems like you have gained in the past number of years, uh, as you have moved into this vocation of teaching, as you entered your relationship with your now husband, as it seems like you've gained so many uh, colleagues, friends in different places, can you speak for a moment to the way that the community around you has supported you in maybe helping to identify ways that you can better care for yourself? You know, you talk about that teacher mentor who kind of ushered you along as well, but maybe even more broadly, the community around you that has maybe helped to put you in a better mindset and a better place to care for yourself in this, in this phase of your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I have stayed connected with a, a pastor in the conference and um, she kind of holds me accountable. Um, I think we get together about twice, maybe quarterly at most, um, to just have a meeting to talk, to catch up, see where I'm at. And it's it was in that most recent kind of conversation where this idea of what would it look like if I just rested in 2023 and, and stuff like that. and. Um, by no means is she a spiritual director, but just sort of watching out for me. Um, and, and so I think that's helpful. And, um, and I think part of it is I, so I did CPE my last semester of seminary and, um, CPE was the first time that I professionally, I came out professionally, mm -hmm. um, and it was a safe place. There was no one tied to the church. And it's, and I have to go through like all of these little checklists that this person used to. Is this person a safe person to tell? And um, I shared that because I was, one of the activities we're doing, it just, it left me unsettled and we were processing it as a group. And it ultimately the person um, or who led my CPE was like, I imagine that takes a lot of energy to keep that part of you a secret, no wonder um, you don't have a lot of energy left to do whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think of that like, I firmly believe that I was called into the season of ministry that I was in um, with Licensed Local Pastor. I think when I talked with people early on, like I think I was the first in the conference to actually leave a pulpit mm -hmm. and come out as gay. Um, but I firmly believe that God led me out of that season too. Mm -hmm. um, it just so happened that Virginia, I so 
I have been a licensed teacher since I graduated from my first uh, master's degree in Virginia. I just never used it, but my seminary time overlapped to where my seminary courses counted towards my recertification. And I wasn't going to recertify in June. And my husband, now husband, convinced me to fill out the certification forms that June and that August is when I left ministry. Mm. And so I was able to get this job because I was a licensed teacher for what I was teaching. And, um, and so it's, so I feel like you, it's learning to listen to what is God calling you to do in that moment. And it was ultimately, I was seeing a therapist. I was on antidepressants uh, and a lot of that wasn't working. And I was hoping to make it through that conference year mm-hmm. and it, ended up that I just, I texted a friend and I was like, Hey, if something comes up sooner, maybe I'll consider it. And she came back and was like, well, can you start tomorrow type thing? (laughs) Um, But that was a Wednesday. And on Monday I had a signed contract with the school system. So it's like, I knew that was what God was leading to me for my, for my own safety. And so, um, so now a lot of my self care that I need to spend time with is, 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 there are wounds that I've not addressed Mm -hmm. in that transition um, from the like wound of feeling like I had to hide a part of myself. And to kind of go back to the the CPE thing is is when you're hiding a part of yourself and the energy you put into that, if you can't give a hundred percent, it's, it's difficult in ministry Mm -hmm. and being able to leave ministry and go into this teaching environment has allowed me on all front be 100% who I am. Um, you know, when I go into church, it's, um, you know, I'm Brian, I'm married to Eric, and um, this is what it is. And um, and so it's been an interesting sort of, it's been interesting doing ministry in a certain way and being able to be fully present and realizing like, you know, there was a point before I left ministry where I maybe had three hours of good functioning time mm-hmm. because I was in such a depressive state with everything um, to where like, it's just totally different. And so, um, and I shared in a sermon last year that it's that forcing these people who are called by God to do this ministry to keep a part of them out of the ministry is what's causing harm to these people. Mm-hmm. And so my ministry moving forward is just, and anything that I do, I hope that I make someone else's life easier in that moment. So if I, by com- being the first person to leave the pulpit um, in the conference, helped somebody, then it was worth it. If, um, if my being open about my sexuality in the school system helps a kid not do harm to themselves or to stay a little bit longer um, on the fight to, until they can truly be who they want to be, then I, I, my ministry has been successful. Yeah. And, and I appreciate the naming of like the wounds that need to be healed uh, because I think that we often will leave a place, whether it is a vocation, whether it's an unhealthy relationship, uh, whether it's even just a bad event in our lives, and we try and put it away and put it behind us and just forget about it, um, isolate the event in our subconscious, uh, and we never address it. And then those wounds begin to fester a greater sense of self-harm 
in itself than the original event actually does. Um, you know, I know a lot of, I, I mean, I know a lot of pastors in who had unhealthy previous appointments who have needed to address various things in those appointments. And it's been in the addressing of those things that have allowed them to become more effective pastors in their current appointment. Um, and then even looking at folks uh, in your position who transitioned out of the pastorate and said, you know, in order to be a more effective X, whatever I am now in this vocation, I needed to address the pains and the harms that I experienced as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that that is self-care in and of itself that leads us down a new road. You know, are we ever willing to address what has happened to us in our past so that we can be more effective in wherever we're being called in the future? Uh, and I want to thank you for bringing that perspective to us this week. I mean, what a what a, a a great insight to kind of bring in and allow us to reflect on, um, and the way that your community has been around you in that sense as well to be able to help you get that accomplished too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any any closing thoughts? <laughs> well, and just along those lines, I just will say, you know, when I was when I left um, ministry. Bishop Weaver was our interim bishop, mm-hmm. and he didn't want me to surrender my credentials, and so I went on whatever the minute question is now. Um, but I went for my yearly meeting with my DCOM, and the transition came up. And I just remember here sitting like, I am pouring everything I have into you to say. I was in such a place. It was life or death for me to get out. And when these things started being thrown at me, I reacted but I reacted from this place of darkness that mm-hmm. I was in. And it was a, you know, it's a committee of all pastors who were like, but you're the pastor. You should, de- you just need to deal with it. Like you can't deal with it that way. Cause you're the pastor. And, um, and I would say, I guess that's sort of a challenge that, you know, one of the reasons I wasn't fully supportive of these massive districts is, is who's caring for our pastors. I mean, I sat there and cried for help and got told, Yep. You're crying to the wrong person, you know, and so that's something that if I just any pastor is, I mean, there's a reason why your um, therapy visits are covered 100 percent by our by your clergy insurance. Mm-hmm. Like, take advantage of it. And yes, I and I did towards the end, and and incredibly grateful because it helped me in the short time that I did the therapy to work through the realization of I can't stay. Yeah. Like what I'm doing is causing me harm. And, um, and so I'm forever grateful for that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had a healthy, like a outwardly healthy period of like a month or so. And I was going to therapy and my therapist is like, can I just ask you why you come like this regularly? Cause I mean, I go like every other week, even if I feel like mm-hmm. it hasn't been, you know, a bad couple of weeks. And I said, well, because I don't have to pay anything for it. And so I feel like it's a safe place to be able to come. And even if I'm not feeling like if I'm not in the midst of like an anxious episode or, you know, my ADHD might be behaving for a little while. I feel like if I don't go, then maybe my mind will be like, well, you don't need it. See, like, even though it's free, you don't need it. Um, And yeah, that is something that I will shout to the mountaintops 
Uh, I think I said it at annual conference this year from the floor. I think it's the first time I've ever heard from the floor of annual conference that pastors behavioral health is free under our insurance. Take advantage of it. Um, And to name like, like for those of you who are in vocations that may not have that, like no one understand the behavior. Like when you get company, whatever, when you look at your health insurance benefits, you know, I would encourage you for one of the first places you go to look at is look at what is covered under your, your behavioral health. Look and see, understand it. And, you know, whether it's fighting for it to be better or being able to find a way to use those benefits to be able to take care of yourself, um, that and then your your yearly physical. Make sure you do those two things because <laughs> uh, those are going to be the two things when you talk about self-care. Um, you know, I have been fortunate to get an immense amount covered uh just because i've i've played my medical cards right when it comes to doing things medically um Mm -hmm. and i've been able to you know say hey i need this i need this i need this uh and i've been able to kind of get it covered under our conference health insurance which you're right is is generous in some ways not generous in others Mm -hmm. um but you know finding ways to medically care for ourselves too um and you're right you know you need people to talk to uh, you need those who are going to surround you. Um, and and as a pastor who is currently employed by the United Methodist Church, I do think a lot of times that our denominational structure fails us to be able to care for us. Um, and unfortunately, we pastors have to kind of find alternative routes to be able to find those things. Um, but to hear from me that I think it is worth it. Uh, if our denomination is not going to support us, it's worth the extra time to be able to, whether it's have a group of clergy who are surrounding you in love and prayers, uh, to be able to have family, to be able to have friends, to be able to have um, you know, a healthy therapist who can help us um, to find the right medical concoction that's gonna be able to, to help you get through, get through ministry. That's gonna be time, in my honest opinion, that's well spent. Um, I agree, yeah. And even if it is, you know, yelling, with every breath in your lungs that the denomination is not helping to serve those who are serving the denomination, uh, whether you're lay or clergy, um, doing that as well. Um, and so Brian, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let's hit these end of the podcast things real quick as we wind our time down. Uh, what's something that has made you feel accomplished? So since it's uh, active faith, I will say, um, it's been, I guess it's been, 11 years now, um, I ran a half marathon and I, um, at the time I was like, I have a master's degree and this is the most accomplished I've ever felt. And so, um, I like being able to start and finish something. And yeah. so that was something where like I started the year out, I couldn't run a mile and I ran 13 point whatever two. Um, and so, um, that, so I guess that sort of finishing something, um, is, is my what makes me feel accomplished. And so what is a what is an upcoming goal that you have? Yeah, so the doctor um this year told me that I finally have a health condition that requires losing weight and so it's uh to get down to a healthy weight and get that little health hiccup out of the way. So And yeah. then uh who do you go to when life gets tough? Oh gosh, so um, like I said, a lot of times I go to myself, but um, learning to go to my spouse, <laughs> I've been uh, working on. Um, 
I'd say we, Eric and I have been together, it'll be four years in February. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both just met each other at a time in our lives where we needed to meet each other. And so I think really we, for each of us, we've become each other's rock. Um, you know, he, his son was in a really bad car accident in December and like, you know, I took time off of work to go just sit in the hospital to be in there for him. Um, and he, you know, he does the same thing for me. And so I'd say I'm, I'm still a little bit, I go to myself, but I'm working on verbalizing at least to my husband. To... Awesome. Well, I want to thank you yeah. so much for coming on and joining us for this episode. Uh, hope you have a good day and, and hopefully those kids, uh, they, they don't heckle, heckle you too much. Yeah, no, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's good seeing you. Yep. You know, it just feels so great to be able to bring these episodes back into your ears again in this new year. Uh, You know, as I mentioned in the last podcast, uh, taking that time off really gave me an opportunity to reflect on on how much uh, this podcast fills me up and and having these conversations and this conversation with Brian is 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 a reminder of that as well that uh, you know these conversations they have a deeper understanding and even when we are still learning what self-care looks like uh, to be able to take lessons to be able to hear the stories of others maybe to jog something in us and I think as I listen to Brian's story it's it's that sort of mentality and that sort of mindset that really stands out to me that we can all continue on this journey together continue to learn continue to grow and we can see the way in which it's like, yeah, no, I need to be doing better. Um, and I mean, we heard it right at the top of this episode when Brian started introducing himself and talked about self-care. But even if it's just doing one thing, you know, changing one word in our responses to people, uh, one action, one piece of care that we can offer ourselves, it, it begins that journey and it begins that opportunity for us to truly live and exist in that space of caring for ourselves, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, um, and to be able to, to live into that space as we come together on this journey. Um, you know, I want to thank Brian so much for joining in this podcast, for being willing to to bring his conversation into this space and share it with us. I want to thank you so much for joining this conversation. Uh, don't forget to check out those show notes. Uh, there is a link to the Active Faith Community on Facebook. Uh, and make sure that you check out. There is a link to Patreon, patreon.com slash rev. Your support there uh, helps to keep this podcast going. helps to keep the network going. Uh, I want to give thanks for uh, David Vaughn, Pam Anderson, Amy Dane, and Andy Wells for their support over on Patreon. If you want to add your name to that list, uh, check out those show notes. Head on over to patreon.com slash rev. You can also find my social media links as well as a couple of links uh, to find Brian on social media as well. I would love it if you would follow and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. Uh, That way these episodes just pop right up in your feed when they become available. And you know what? If you are feeling really generous, if you would head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave a rating, leave a review if you're able to, please. It it, it helps others know what you're loving about this podcast, uh, helps others find the podcast. 
and lastly, uh, the greatest support that you can offer is just share the podcast with a friend. Invite them to listen. Uh, invite them to come along for this journey. And now may God bless each of us, and may we find ways to stay active in and for God's kingdom. Amen.